This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. Hello guys, welcome to the Eat Black Ruby podcast. I'm here today by myself recording a solo episode and it is going to flow on, I think, quite nicely from last week's episode. So last week I did another solo where I spoke to the advice or the things I would advise, advice for (laughs) people heading into 2024 who don't have a fat loss goal, but prioritize nutrition and training, love nutrition and training, and want to tee up a really successful year with those things. I think it's so common to just kind of have that mentality of like new year, weight loss, whatever. But there's actually a massive amount of girls out there and especially girls in Eat Like Ruby who love nutrition, love training, love putting time and energy into those things, but don't need to pursue fat loss. So I think it's really cool to speak to that. And I just touched on probably predominantly training, what I would advise to look at and think about with your training, a little bit of nutrition towards the end of that, and really just teeing up a solid year with those things. And so what I'm going to speak about today will absolutely apply to these girls. If you're someone who's in the gym getting after it, this is going to be so helpful for you. But even if you are someone who's pursuing fat loss at the same time, if you're someone who's just getting into gym, this could be helpful. What I'm really going to speak about today is the main lifts and the main movements that the girls in Eat Like Ruby tend to want to work on with training and sort of break down those individual movements and those lifts and give my advice, my plans, my structure, all the things that I think about to progress with those lifts and those movements. So like always, there's definitely going to be some crossover with things we've spoken about in other episodes. Like we usually touch on, if we do a big episode about training, we might touch on the chin up or the hip thrust or the squat, the RDL or something. But I feel like I've never done a whole episode where we just take those main lifts and really break down each one and the things we want to look at, the things we want to factor into our training to progress with those. So you might hear something today and think, I've heard her rant about this before, but I want to kind of tie it all into one place. And and I feel like this is going to be one of those pods where if you're into training, I think the bulk of this is going to apply to you. But like always, there might be sort of one thing we say that doesn't, or you might have a certain lift or a movement that you focus on that we don't touch on today. But I just see such a common theme. So what I'm really going to look at today is the hip thrust, the RDL, the squat, the chin up and the push up. Maybe a couple of other things will come into it, but they tend to be the five things. Like I said, there might be one or two others that pop up for individual people, but super common for girls to come into eat like Ruby and say, I want to work on my hip thrust. I want to work on my RDL. I want to work on my squat. And then I'd love to get better at doing push-ups and chin-ups. I feel like chin-ups is a huge one, especially. So one of the first things I want to talk about is the training split. Because when we look at a training split, there's no right or wrong with this. We can split up our training however we like. And when we talk about a training split, we're talking about like what we do on certain days of the week, how we divide our training across the week. So it can be really common in guys probably more so, but definitely some chicks as well to do like a bit of what we call a bro split, which is where we see like a back and bicep session, a chest and triceps, a shoulder session, leg session, and things are quite divvied up into individual muscles. The sort of typical bro split years ago was just that it was chest and tries, back and bys, usually shoulders and abs, and then legs. 
So a four-day split, and then there might have been a fifth day. Some guys probably still even do this, and some people will divvy it up like chest one day, back one day, shoulders one day, and then arms, and then legs. Sometimes people ask, like, I don't really do this in Eat Like Ruby. So the girls in Eat Like Ruby are probably like, no, we don't do that. We tend to do upper days and lower days. And people might ask why, and I thought that'd be a cool thing to speak about. If we look at a split like that, if we look at a split, whether it's four or five days, where we break down chest and tries, back and by shoulders, legs, all of that, the ratio of upper to lower is hugely favored into upper. If we think about that, if you're going to do three or four days that are like chest day, back day, shoulders day, arms day, that's four days of building your upper body and then you do one leg day. So the ratio of four to one usually isn't going to work towards the physique that most females want. Most females want it the other way around, like more lower than upper. So that can be quite a common split for guys, especially because when we think about most guys, I definitely don't want to box people out because some guys love the lower day, some girls love the upper. But as a whole, I tend to see guys wanting more upper, girls wanting more lower. So if we think about that, with the girls in Eat Like Ruby, we can do anything from three, four or five days a week. When people come in, they can pick three-day, four-day or five-day program. With the three-day, we do upper, lower and then full body. With four days, we do two upper, two lower. And then with five, we do two upper, three lower. So I hope that wasn't info overload, but (laughs) in all of those situations, we're never, or in all of those splits, I should say, we're never outweighing the lower body with the upper body, because I just feel like that's creating a look and a physique that most females aren't aiming for. So then when we look at the lower body sessions, usually that is the main focus for a lot of girls. They want the glutes, they want the hammies, and they also want to work on the lifts in those sessions. Most girls that I talk to have a goal of a hip thrust PB, maybe an RDL PB, maybe a squat PB. When we say RDL, we mean Romanian deadlift, but even any sort of deadlift PB, any sort of squat PB. So I like to look at those two or three lower sessions of the week and really factor in those main lifts. I've said this before on the podcast, they're absolutely going to give us the most bang for our buck. If we think about something like an RDL and a squat, we're going to work the glutes big time. We're going to work hammies and quads in assistance with those things. So we're just really working most, if not all aspects of the lower body, especially if we factor in, if we do a leg session that has a thrust and a deadlift and a squat, we're going to hit glutes really hard, hammies really well, quads really well. That's exactly what we want. And then usually we finish those sessions with some sort of extra, whether it's an extra hammy thing, quad thing, glute thing, we just tie in a little bit more at the end there. But if we look at that, you're really hitting those big main lifts and those big main muscles that you want to two to three times a week, which is just fucking awesome. I think that's exactly what we want. And we're not overdoing it to the point where we are overdoing it and we're impeding recovery, but we're hitting them often, we're hitting them regularly. And that's what we need to grow. If we were to do that once a week, first of all, there's only so much we can do in one session. So we'd probably miss out on a lot of movements that the girls want to work on because it's one session for the week and then we want to repeat it the next week. And then we're over here doing three or four upper body sessions when a lot of the girls I speak to don't particularly want to build massive triceps, massive biceps, massive lats, all of those things. So when we look at the upper body, there's usually a common theme where we do want to build a bit of shape and a bit of muscle overall, but we're not aiming to like get super jacked in the upper bod. And usually it's a bit more for most girls, again, not all, but most, there tends to be a little bit more desire to work shoulders and back 
because that tends to give us that overall shape through like nice round cap shoulders, bit wide through the upper back, not too wide, but a bit wide that we start to just create that nice shape. And again, most girls aren't in the gym looking at building like big pecs, big triceps, big biceps. Again, some are. I feel like I just want to preface the whole episode by saying (laughs) I don't want to offend people. I don't want to box people out. If you're a chick that's in the gym just trying to build big booming triceps, amen. I love it, but it just doesn't tend to be that common. So if we look at the upper board, usually we want to focus on some back and some shoulders and then a little bit more assistant stuff. Again, we might just chuck in a bit of triceps, a bit of biceps, a bit of chest towards the end. And again, if we really think about that, if most girls want to build a bit of shape through the back and the shoulders, I like to spread upper body into the two sessions where we can do that in both. If we're over here just doing a big back day and then we're over here doing a big chest day and we just do them both once a week, there does tend to be that element where people are like, oh, but I'd like to work the back a little bit more than the chest. So that ratio is off again. And I guess there's probably one other split that you might've heard of that we could reference. When we look at training, I feel like I've touched on this in the podcast before. We're really looking at pushing and pulling with the upper body and the lower body. So some people will just divvy their training into upper push, upper pull, lower push, lower pull. That can absolutely work as well. But again, I feel like most of my girls... First of all, the hip thrust isn't really factored into that split when we think about it. For a long time with training, that's what we looked at was push-pull of the upper and lower. And that's really like push of the upper is bench and any sort of bench variation. Pull on the upper is like a chin-up or a row or any, any variation of those. Push on the lower is the squat or a variation. And then pull is a deadlift or any variation. The hip thrust doesn't factor in there because most people don't realize the hip thrust was invented in like 2010. It hasn't been around for too long at all, but that push-pull split has been around forever. So the hip thrust doesn't really factor into that. And most girls want to deadlift and squat and hip thrust multiple times a week. So again, if we're looking at just one lower pull, one lower push, we're not really getting to do that multiple times like we want to. So personally, I like to take the lower body sessions, factor in a push, factor in a pull, factor in a hip thrust, and then that accessory work at the end, and then take the upper sessions, look at the back, look at the shoulders, give them a little bit of work, and then consider the fact that most girls also want to progress with a chin up and or progress with a push up and just be able to move their body weight a little bit more. I think that's very motivating. And I think it's very, very cool for chicks that want to just be able to jump on a bar and lift their weight or jump on the floor and push their weight. I think that's so cool. So I always factor that in as well. And then with abs, I tend to just have abs as like an optional thing that people can factor into their sessions anywhere they want to towards the end. With abs, I won't get too off topic, but (laughs) we... If we're lifting well with all of our lifts, we're going to work the abs. So even if we weren't doing specific ab exercises in our training, they're definitely going to get worked. If you're doing heavy deads, heavy squats, pushing, pulling, all of the things, chin-ups, push-ups, all of that, if you're holding your posture and your core and everything in the right position, absolutely you're going to work your abs. But most people still tend to want to have those actual specific ab things towards the end. So we tend to do that as well. That is the training split explained for the most part. So then I want to look at those individual lifts that a lot of girls want to work on and just break them down a little bit. The first thing I want to look at is the hip thrust. We've spoken about this heaps and Shaq and I spoke about this heaps probably 
five or six weeks ago, we did those few episodes about training and the hip thrust just copped a bit of a hit. So I won't spend too long on this, but the one thing, I say one thing, we know there's going to be a hundred. The things I really advise girls to look at here is not getting so caught up in the weight that you're just throwing the bar around with your whole body. And we've mentioned that before, but it's so common with the hip thrust because I think for a lot of girls, the hip thrust and or the bridge, super similar, they tend to be the heaviest lifts that a lot of girls can do in the gym, which is so cool. And then I think we get excited and we get caught up in that PB aspect of like, oh, if I can do 105, maybe I can do 107, maybe I can do 110. And it can be one of those things where, when we look at how much we're lifting, a lot of girls are lifting up in the triple digits or close to it with a hip thrust. When you're just adding two kilos at a time, it actually doesn't seem like that much. Like it doesn't seem like too big of a deal. If you're like, I can do 105, surely I can do 107. So I think that can get a little bit addictive and then we maybe forget all of the technique pointers. And I even said this last week where it's so important, I think, to step away from the actual big lift and focus on little movements, variations of it, all those things to come back to those technique pointers. I've said this way back on the podcast. This will be for the OGs, but if we are doing something like a hundred kilo hip thrust and it's awesome, we're killing it, we're loving life, but we do start to creep it up and we do start to lose the technique a little bit. If we come back to something like a single leg hip thrust, and I love this I actually factored this into like the first week of the training membership in Eat Like Ruby because if we think about something like a single leg hip thrust with a dumbbell, if you're over here doing a hundred kilo hip thrust with a barbell, you come back to a single leg with a dumbbell or a B stance. If people don't know what B stance is, it's staggered stance, we call it as well. And basically it's where one foot takes most of the load, but the other foot takes a little bit for assistance. So it's sort of the stepping stone towards doing a single leg variation. If we think about a single leg hip thrust, it's quite hard to put all that work in one leg. The B stance is just like the stepping stone there because you still get a little bit of assistance from the other leg. But that's not my point. My point is, if you go from a big heavy barbell down to a dumbbell, B stance or single leg, it's going to be air quote easier in terms of the load. Like when you move up into that thrust, you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm used to doing a hundred. Now I've got maybe like a 12 kilo dumbbell, whatever it is on my lap, significantly, again, air quote, easier load. When we do this, people can think it's a regression, but I think it's so important because it forces us to look at the movement. It forces us to look at the individual legs. I feel like I'm going to start repeating everything I said last week. But the other thing that it can do as well is when there is that element of thinking like this is easy, you kind of tap in and make yourself make it harder. So this is where we see people really tap into that mind-muscle connection, which is so underrated. If you're doing something like a hip thrust and you're thinking about other shit or you're just using your whole body to get it up and you really aren't tapping into that mind-muscle connection with the glutes, it kind of defeats the purpose. If we go to a single leg and you're thinking to yourself, this is kind of easy, I want to make this harder, you're going to consciously be thinking about working that glute, which is exactly what we want and part of the reason we bring it in in the first place. Then we really start to think about the range or like how low can I sink and how much can I come up and then really contract that glute at the top. Maybe I hold it for a second to give it that extra contraction and we've spoken about that before being time under tension. All of those little things tying in together is really making you work that individual glute way more than you would be 
with a heavy barbell. But again, a lot of people can be like, oh, but the barbell's 100, the dumbbell's 12. It's a regression. It's not a regression. It's a refinement. So that would be my number one piece of advice for the hip thrust is just be okay with stepping away from the heavy barbell at times. Work on tempo, mind-muscle connection, time under tension, range, contraction of the muscle, all of those things, and then come back to your hip thrust and bring that to your hip thrust and you will see it progress. You will see it move forward and you'll just have a better hip thrust overall. That's the point. So I feel like that's enough on the hip thrust because we do talk about it so often on the podcast. (laughs) So if you're someone who's just found the podcast and you love hip thrust, I would definitely go back and listen to, just listen to every episode. But You'll definitely hear a little bit more about them, but I feel like we've hit that one hard over the last few weeks. The next one I want to talk about is the RDL. And like I said before, that stands for Romanian deadlift. We have a fair few deadlift variations, if you will, but this one's quite popular. It tends to be quite popular, especially for the girls that want to work the glutes. It's just really come into play as one of those other big lifts that we want to factor into our glute sessions, which is cool. It's awesome. Um, Super common in Eat Like Ruby. The girls also tend to love the trap bar. I personally love the trap bar. I think the positioning and just the movement pattern that it makes you work through is really beneficial. So I tend to use those two a lot, the RDL or the barbell RDL or the trap bar. But one thing I think is so underrated and one thing I think too many like generic programs aren't doing is building people up to an RDL. An RDL is quite a complex movement or any sort of deadlift is quite a complex movement. And I've seen so many programs that are like eight week booty program or whatever. And it's like day one RDL. If a person has never lifted weights in their life, that's a very big jump from never lifting weights to a barbell deadlift, huge jump. And I think there's so much work to be done in between. If you're someone that has got up to the point of doing RDL, you've done the work, you're there, you feel confident with it, it's still worth going back and progressing through those stepping stones every now and then to refine things and fix anything you might be doing a little bit sloppy or a little bit weak or whatever. If we're just focusing on those big heavy lifts, anything that's a bit sloppy or a bit weak or a bit shitty isn't going to get the work that it needs to actually improve. So you're just doing this big heavy lift over and over with a weakness or with a dodgy technique or something happening in there. We want to come back to almost like day one, lay the foundation vibes, even if you're years into training and work through those stepping stones again. And I think the RDL is a huge one to do this with. And I think one of the most underrated things, again, the girls in the training membership are probably like, yep, (laughs) she's got me doing this, is a banded hip hinge. If we put a band around the hips and then we put a band on a rack or something behind us and we step out, we get enough tension on the band and you just practice that hinge movement over and over and over with a band. First of all, if you get it right, big booty burn, big hamstring burn, like you're going to feel that. But it's something where it really forces us to tap in and be like, am I getting this right? Because if you've got that on and you're just kind of like, hunting forward and hunching back up, like some people do with a deadlift, you're not going to feel that tension in the hammies. You're not going to feel the tension in the glutes. And that's literally the point of an RDL or of a deadlift is that we push the hips and the hammies and everything back enough to really create that length and position, get the tension and use those to move the weight. If someone's just kind of, like I said, hunching forward, rounding forward, bending down, there's so many ways that people can deadlift wrong. And again, That is why I think people should not just be deadlifting on day one or just deadlifting all the time. But if you're doing any of those things, 
the hammies and the glutes aren't doing the work. Often we see the lats, the traps, the shoulders, all of these things kick in, which defeats the purpose for so many people. If you're a chick that's like, I want to deadlift, I want to RDL to build my glutes, to build my hammies, yet there's sloppy technique happening so much that it's really just the traps and the lats moving the weight, what's the point? Like we've fully lost the point. So I think it's so beneficial to come back to something like the band and really work through that range and make sure like, am I getting mad tension in my hammies, mad tension in my glutes? And then just like when we go to that B stance hip thrust, we do that over and over and over. Then we take that technique back to the barbell and you're like suddenly like, fuck, okay, now I'm moving big weight with my hammies, with my glutes, which is exactly the point. (laughs) And I think there's so many progressions and variations of the RDL. If we think about, you know, maybe starting with the band, going to like then a kettlebell or a dumbbell, going to a B stance. I'm a huge fan of the B stance or staggered stance RDL. I think, again, being able to create that tension in the hammies and the glutes in the individual sides is so beneficial. It's so good. And again, it's going to carry over to that big lift. And I think it's really important to, this probably goes for all lifts and especially all big barbell lifts, big compound lifts, but I think the deadlift especially. I think it's so important to have those phases of heavy deads or heavy RDLs, trap bars, whatever we want to call them, but also phases of lighter ones, higher reps, lower weight, all of that to give the body a break. It's so fucking taxing to deadlift a heavy barbell over and over and over and over and over again. So many people get lower back issues, hip issues, all of those things. And I think just constantly loading those parts of the body with no break or no variation, no change up, I think it can really accumulate. I think it's so beneficial to have a training block with a heavy dead. And then in the next block, maybe it's like, okay, we're going to dumbbells, we're going to kettlebells. So obviously that's going to be a bit lighter, but we're going to double the reps or we're going to go to the staggered stance and you're going to work on the individual leg. I think that's that's so necessary and it's so underrated. We don't want to just get caught with that heavy weight over and over for so many reasons. Like the body's going to feel it. And then when the body starts to feel it, usually those little things will kick in, the weaknesses, the imbalances, the technique issues and all of that. Because if there's pain, if there's something happening in the body, naturally you're going to adjust to alleviate that a little bit. And again, that just sort of ties in with the other point I was going to make. If those things are happening and we never step away from it, they're never getting a break. They're never getting fixed. They're just getting worse and worse and worse. So, so beneficial to change that up. And just for training variability. Anyway, if we think about the point of training, the point of training is to create enough stimulus to promote adaptation. And basically what that means is the body is stimulated to a point where it goes, hey, hang on a minute. I haven't done this before. This is hard. This is different. Whatever. I need to adapt to be able to do this bigger, better, heavier, faster, stronger, whatever. That's literally the point of training. If you're just picking up the same fucking bar and doing the same movement day after day, week after week, over and over and over, there's an element there where we lose the variation. We lose some stimulus. There's not as much adaptation. Your body's like, I don't have to adapt to this. I fucking do this every single week. (laughs) And it's quite a fine line with training where obviously we want that to an extent to create consistency, but not so much that we lose that element of adaptation. I just cannot speak more highly of structured training that factors all this in. I said it last week, but if people get caught up in just rotating through the same training program or the same two or three training programs, you lose an element of the variation and therefore of the body adapting because 
If you just went, say if you had two training blocks and one had a heavy RDL and one had a staggered stance RDL and you just did that one and then that one and then back to that one and back to that one, back to that one, back to that one. Your body's going to get a little bit of variation, a little bit of adaptation from those two movements. But then there's so many other variations that we could be working through that you're not because you're just bouncing back and forth from the two. And this is why I just freaking love (laughs) structured progressive training because we step back and we look at the whole thing. Even if um, everyone listened to the episode I did with Georgia and I said that the training membership of Eat Like Ruby, I think about this for like a year in advance and not to the point of, you know, on August 24th next year, we're all going to lunge for eight reps, but like... (laughs) Enough to look and spread it out and say, okay, if we having like if we're doing heavy hip thrusts in block two and block three, we'll have a break in block four. We'll bring them back in block five, six, and seven. We'll have a break in block eight, and then just looking and saying, okay, if we're having a break from a heavy hip thrust, is that a good time to do a heavy RDL? The body's not going to be so fucking slammed because even if you think about a training session, she's gone off topic, guys. We're going to be here all day. But even if we think about a training session that was heavy hip thrusts, heavy RDLs, heavy back squats, how well are you going to perform a heavy back squat after four sets of heavy hip thrusts and four sets of heavy RDLs? And I bet you all the girls in Eat Like Ruby are starting to clock and think, oh, fuck, that's why my training program looks like that. If we've got a heavy barbell RDL, We don't have a heavy back squat and a heavy hip hip thrust on the same day. And this even ties in so well with my first point of spreading training into like two or three lower sessions for the week. I'll look at those three sessions and say, okay, the heavy lift in the first one is the hip thrust. The heavy lift in the second one is the RDL. The heavy lift in the third one is the squat. If we then look at that third one, the heavy lift is a squat. What sort of variation of the hip thrust can we do where we're still hip thrusting, but it's not heavy because we want the squat to be heavy. And there's so many things that start to tie in. And again, that's why I lay it out for that training block, but then future training blocks as well, because you want to be able to make sure that we're covering everything and we've we've got that sweet spot of consistency, but also variation that we're working through all different movements and different cycles. And then we're coming back and then we're refining and we're coming back and we're just training like that forever. And I said it last week, but this is why we don't want to think about training being a six week or an eight week thing, because you want to work through all of this long-term. Like that is the key to really building strength and a wicked physique to go with it. Key takeaways from the deadlift, from the RDL, work up to it. And be okay with then stepping back from it, working on those variations and those progressions, making sure the real key thing there is making sure, am I creating tension in the hammies and the glutes when I'm pushing back, when I'm sinking into it? We really want that there. If we've pushed to a point where it's predominantly the upper body getting behind it, we've kind of missed the mark and we want to step back. So she's moving on to the squat. This is sort of the third lower body thing, the third and final lower body thing. If we think about a squat, the first thing I want to point out here is this can be any variation of a squat. Obviously, like our typical kind of original squat is just the back squat, barbell on the shoulders, but then we've got a front squat so we can go barbell in front. Goblet squat, I am a huge fan of a goblet squat. So that's where we hold a weight, either a dumbbell or a kettlebell in front of the chest. But then we've also got things even like a hack squat, pendulum squat. There's quite a few machines in the gym these days that will do things like that. Even a leg press is, I wouldn't say a variation of a squat, but it is a lower body push. If we think about the squat, it is a lower body push movement where 
working when we're pushing the weight with the lower body. Exactly the same thing on a leg press. And then we've obviously got all the unilateral versions of those. So meaning single leg. If we think about a squat, a leg press, a hack squat, goblet squat, they're all both legs at once at the same time. Obviously, then we can go like single leg press, split squat, lunge, all of that. But it's the same thing where we're still pushing weight with the lower body just on one leg instead of two. So I always want to point out to people, I think it's very common, maybe not very common, but it can be common for people to think that they need to be back squatting. The back squat is another thing where there's so much room for error. People that have had injuries with upper back, lower back, hips, knees, anything at all, shouldn't say anything at all, but (laughs) a lot of the common injuries we see, the back squat can be pretty intense on those injuries, especially when we think about things like lower back pain. Dropping down with a big heavy bar on your back often doesn't feel too great for people. So what I'm pointing out here is it's okay if you don't love back squatting and you want your squat or your lower body push to be a different variation. I personally have not done a heavy back squat I would say probably like eight years. Like it has been a long time. And I had original injuries with my hammy and my hip and it caused a little bit of lower back pain and stuff. And super big side note, but I have the most tiny narrow hips and I reckon anyone out there with narrow hips can relate. When you've got narrow hips, you sink down into that squat and you see this mad butt wink. If people don't know what butt wink is, just Google it and you'll see. But it's basically when you drop down into a squat and you hit a point where there's no range, there's no mobility in the hips and the pelvis has to tuck under to go further. And I reckon everyone, if you're um, a gym goer, you'll probably be able to start picturing people. And this is something that can be worked on a little bit, but not crazy. And this does tie in with my point, I promise. But when we think about chicks with wider hips, big curvy hips, if you think like a Kimmy K, Chloe Kardashian type body, they would drop into a squat and there's so much range and width in the hips in an awesome way that they drop down and you would naturally flick the pelvis back under because there's room to do so. When someone has very narrow hips like myself, you drop down and you don't have that ability to do that. And the pelvis has no choice but to tuck under. And basically, I'm fully doing visuals if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> um, but basically, it's it's the positioning of the lower back. So if we sink down into a squat and then we don't have room for the pelvis to keep going down, it has to either go under or it can't go anywhere. It'll tuck under and then the lower back really rounds out as opposed to if there is room in the hips to keep sinking down, you get like a little bit of a curve in the lower back. So the point of my story is (laughs) some people just naturally with their genetic structure of their body and the structure of their hips aren't going to have a great squat. And obviously you can work on that with things like hip mobility, hammy mobility, and just make sure that the things that you could work on and you could control, you do, but you can't go out there and change the actual bone structure width of your hips. So If you're someone that's just thinking like, I don't have a great back squat, I don't have a great front squat, whatever, I actually way prefer a goblet squat or a leg press or whatever, that's totally fine. I'm all for that. And I think the back squat, again, there's a lot of room for injury and issues and poor technique. I think I sort of touched on last week, a lot of people don't get anywhere near low enough and it can be one thing where people are a little caught up in like, I want a big, bad, heavy back squat. So they're sort of loading a bar, you watch them go into it and they're doing like a quarter rep. And that was a big thing years ago, like it was a big thing in the gym, like if someone was doing shitty like quarter reps with heaps of weight. So 
I think just be open-minded to the fact that the back squat doesn't have to be the big main push. Really just have a play around and see what feels good for you. And then if you find that there's one that you really love and that's sort of going to be your main focus, your main lift that you want to set the PBs with and work towards, treat that like the RDL, treat that like the hip thrust and think, okay, cool, I'll have that in there sometimes and I'll work on that heavy weight with that sometimes, but I'll also go back to the single leg stuff, the variations, the leg press, the single leg press, any and all of those things to refine, work on the weaknesses, work on the technique, see how it's all starting to (laughs) repeat for each thing. Really the big common theme is we want to have those phases of stepping away and working on different aspects of each lift. The other little thing I love with the squat, I'm sure the girls who eat like Ruby will be like, ah, yep, she loves this, is the heel elevated squat. And it's pretty much for that reason. If we've got poor hip mobility, hammy mobility, lower back mobility, whatever, and we can't sink that low without that big butt wink and the big tuck under of the pelvis, the heel elevation really, really changes that. And I'm personally a huge fan of the heel elevation with my own training. And I love to factor this in as one of the first squat movements that the girls do in Eat Like Ruby, because when we think about online training, you don't know the structure of someone's hips. You don't know their mobility or anything until they start. And again, this is where I have a bit of an issue with sort of pre-purchase programs that are just like, oh, day one back squat. If you've got a person with an injury, poor mobility, narrow hips, or a combo of all those things, putting a heavy barbell on their shoulders and just saying, off you go, I just think is a massive red flag and not something we should be doing. If we can progress with things in our training membership in Eat Like Ruby, we literally progress through a Bulgarian split squat first to, I've probably just put everyone off because everyone hates them and they're like, (laughs) in the first training block, heel elevation squats, we have some leg press, like we progress through all those things because if you're day one of training or even if you're experienced, bring it back to those foundations. Something like a Bulgarian is going to work you through wicked range. You're going to sink down and get good mobility through your hips. You're going to get your hips and your lower body moving well through a push variation without a heavy barbell on your shoulders. Then we also go to something like heel elevated squats, usually heel elevated goblet with the dumbbell in front. And again, you're working on the technique, you're working on sinking down, but you've got that assistance and you're progressing up to the point of a heavy lift. If we then get to a heavy back squat or heavy front squat, heavy goblet, whatever, hack squat, and you feel great and you do your technique checks and you do your videos and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Like I said, you can then pick that as sort of your main big push focus. But equally, you might have a training block of doing one of those and then be like, you know what, that didn't feel great. I didn't love it. I don't feel like I moved that well. I actually loved the heel elevated goblet squats. I'm going to keep them as my main focus. That's awesome. So I think it's just so important to A, work through the progression. So we're not just walking into the gym and doing things that the body isn't conditioned for. And then B, being okay with having a go at all the different variations and finding the one that suits you and your structure best to be your main focus. And then C, still factoring through or still working through different variations to work on the mobility, work on the range, work on all of those things, just like all the other lifts to refine everything and tie it back into that big lift. All right, guys, we are going to move on to upper bod. And 
with the upper body, the two things I'm going to talk about is the chin up and the push up. But I guess it's worth mentioning, mentioning as well. Shoulders are usually quite a big focus on the upper body too. But I feel like, especially for females, and again, not boxing anyone out, but most females aren't really working on a heavy military press. And a heavy military press is um, like a barbell overhead. So getting a barbell, pushing it overhead. There's usually a little bit of a, a little bit anxious, like a little bit scared, like, fuck, don't really want to drop a barbell on my head. And rightly so. And if you don't have a spotter, you don't have the right setup. And there's another big element there too, where obviously to be able to push a barbell over your head, you've got to be able to push 20 kilos over your head. And some chicks absolutely can, but a lot can't. And that's very common, very normal. So to program a heavy military press, you want to make sure a person is strong enough where really you've got to be able to do 10 kilo dumbbell overhead press in each hand before you can pick up a 20 kilo barbell. The reason I feel... I'm explaining why I'm not talking about shoulders by talking about shoulders. So (laughs) that's obviously a big element that we factor into our training is shoulders as well. But usually it's not so much of like a big strength lift. Usually kind of the strength work we do on the shoulders will be like a seated overhead dumbbell, maybe an Arnold press. And it's such a funny thing with the shoulders. Like I was saying, I've got girls in it like Ruby that are doing like 15 or 17 kg dumbbells overhead, which is awesome. But for some people, they're literally at like three and fours. I feel like shoulders is just this one thing where everyone is so different, so different. So wherever you fall with that, just know you're so not alone. But I think shoulders are great to work more on the hypertrophy, meaning training for the aesthetic. Like most people want to build those little sort of capped front delts, nice little rounded shoulders. And we tend to do that with more accessory lifts like lateral raises, front raises, that sort of thing. And I like to factor those in once we've done a big heavy lift. Because again, if you think about what I said before, we don't want to smash a session with heavy lifts. And If you went into a session that had accessory work like lateral raises and front raises and upright rows and you did all them first and then you went to like a heavy bench press, it's like you've just done nine sets fatiguing the upper body before you ask the body to do a heavy lift. It doesn't make sense. So even girls in it like Ruby are probably clocking that right now. Our main big heavy lifts are always like the first or second exercise in the training program because you don't want to do four different exercises first fatigue the board and then ask it to do a heavy lift. It just doesn't add up. So she's way off topic, but I'm going to bring it back. I'm not really going to talk too much more about shoulders. I think I like to use those for building the shoulders with accessory work to get that little nice capped shoulder everyone's looking at. But a movement that people tend to really want to progress with is the chin up. And we've spoken about the chin up so much. I feel like I always use it as the example. So I'll try not to um, harp on about it too much. But really that one issue I see, I spoke about it last week, is just people jumping on the bar with shitty technique and trying to get as many as they can. We don't want to do this. We want to get off the bar work on the technique. I I actually did give the full rundown of this last week, so I'll keep it so short. But basically, we want to be able to chin up with the shoulders back down and retracted. So if your chin ups have this big rounding in the upper back and the shoulders are curling forward, that is your first sign. That is your first red flag to get off the bar and work on building the strength in the back with the shoulders retracted. And we do this with things like horizontal rows like a machine row, cable row, etc. And then we also do it with a vertical pull like 
a lap pull down. If you think about an underhand grip lap pull down, it's pretty much a chin up. But obviously, if you do a chin up, you need to be able to lift your body weight. So if you're 60 kilos, a lot of chicks aren't jumping on a lap pull down and underhand pulling 60 kilos. Again, some of you might be, which is awesome. But for a lot of us, we need to progress up to that. So what I'm getting at there is you want to work on those machine lifts or those free weight lifts and build up to actually being able to lift your weight before you get on the bar and try and lift your weight. We don't, like we wouldn't sit on a row or a lap pull down and roll the shoulders forward and hunch everything forward and like squirm our way through the rep. Yet so many people do it on the chin up just to be like, I can do six chin ups or whatever. But it's like, you can do six shit chin ups. Get off the bar. Do good lap pull downs, do good rows, all of those things. And then jump back on when you've worked on that and you can actually do good chin ups. So that's the number one piece of advice I'd give for that. And there's so many variations. I feel like gyms are very cool these days because there's a lot of machine variations for upper body things. If you think about all of the rows and the pull down machines in gyms, especially if you train at like a big box gym, um, which is, you know, big, massive gym with a lot of equipment, there's so many variations. And I just think it's so cool to play around with all of them and really teach your body to go through that movement well with the right weight and build up to then being able to do a chin up. I personally also love variations of the actual chin-up. So I think assist, machine-assisted chin-ups are awesome. Getting on a machine-assisted chin-up, which is um, the machine in the gym that takes some of your weight, so you do the chin-up, but you don't have to lift your full weight. I think this is awesome, and I think we factor this in so early in the training membership. I think it's phase two, so the second training block that the girls do. We use this, and I just advise people to find that sweet spot where you can do as much weight as you can with that perfect technique. And you'll be able to find like, where do I put the pin where I can keep it on point? But like if I went one heavier, I'd start to lose technique. You want to sit there and work through that and nail that and eventually progress through that. And again, if you think about that, that is literally the ultimate carryover to doing a chin up. Because if you can progress that pin enough to the point where okay, the machine's now taking like fucking five kilos of my weight and I'm doing the rest. The next progression from there is, okay, the machine takes nothing. I jump on the bar and I can lift my whole weight. So I am a huge, huge fan of that machine. I think it's awesome. So long as we use it to keep technique in check. If you're using that to just get as many reps as you can, you may as well be on the bar. And I've already told you to get off the fucking bar. The other things we can do with chin-ups, which is super cool, is just work through different phases of the lift. So what I'm talking about is things like eccentric chin-ups, which if people don't know, the eccentric part of the lift is the lowering. So a really common thing we do in Eat Like Ruby is literally jumping up onto the bar. So maybe you've got a step or something under the bar. You like jump up to the top part of the position. So you don't pull yourself up. You just jump straight up there. And then you focus on lowering yourself down really slowly. And then you jump up again. So you're basically only doing the second half of the rep, which is just so cool because so many people, even when we think about it, will just like squirm, squirm, squirm their way up to the top and then just flop down. (laughs) So again, we're breaking down each individual aspect of it. We also love to do chin-up holds. So again, you'll jump up and then you just hold yourself in that top position. And what I love the girls to think about there is like retract the shoulders, hold everything in that right position. If you had have pulled yourself up, what position would you want to be in? You don't want that hunch. You don't want the rounded shoulders. You want the shoulders back, everything sitting right. 
literally chin up over the bar. So you want to hold that. And then literally the exercise is just to hold, stay there. How long can I hold this for? So I think that's very cool to look at the pull up, look at the hold, look at the lower down. Like there's so many little things for it. And one last final thing I'll say for the chin up as well is I even love to factor in the bicep work for this. Because if you think about a close grip, like underhand chin up, massive bicep work. So if we think about isolated bicep work in the gym, like dumbbell curls or hammer curls or whatever, super common way I see people butcher these is by curling up and then coming like halfway down and back up again. We want to go to full extension on the bicep and then contract it again and lift it up. And again, if you're watching on YouTube, (laughs) you'll see what I'm doing. But I think so many people almost kind of get into like a bit of momentum where they're just like curl, 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 curl. And really we want to like curl up, lower right down, extend the bicep, contract again, curl up, lower back down. Because if you think about the bottom part of a chin, if you've pulled yourself up and then you're coming back down, the biceps are going to hit full extension at the bottom of that movement. You want to be able to contract the biceps under load to go back into a chin up. So if you've spent all of your time doing bicep curls in this half rep like momentum format, you haven't been training the body and conditioning the body to contract that bicep and initiate a movement, which is exactly what we want the biceps to do at the very start of a chin up. So I just think there's so many little exercises and so many elements that we want to think about with those. And again, It just comes back to having time actually working on them, but then stepping away and working on the elements. And I think for a lot of people, you need to progress up to them in the first place, especially if you're like day one of the gym, where a lot of chicks on day one of the gym, if I said, go jump on the chin up bar, how many can you do? Most people are probably like none. And I think the cool thing to look at there, like I've said with all the other lifts, even if you are advanced or experienced or you can, ask yourself how many good chin-ups can I do and really film them if you're in Eat Like Ruby show them to me like really double check how many good ones can I do and if the answer is also none treat yourself like a beginner treat yourself like you are day one of gym how do I work up to being able to do chin-ups because if the question is how many can I do and the answer is oh six but they're all shit and not good technique then the answer is none you can't do chin-ups because you can't do good chin-ups. So really let that go and treat yourself like you are a beginner and work back up to them because they'll be so much better when you get there. The final thing I'm going to talk about is push-ups. I feel like this one's not as popular. Like I think it's still cool. People want to be able to do push-ups, but I think the chin-up is a bit more popular for girls. But super similar thing where we don't want to be like, oh yeah, I can do 15 push-ups, but they're like, like tiny baby reps. That's what that was. (laughs) But I reckon so many people can visualize this where we see people get into that push-up position and then they literally lower down like two centimeters and then back to the top. And they're just like, again, YouTubers are getting extra visuals here, but it's just that tiny little movement in the top part. For a push-up, you want to literally lower yourself down so that your chest is just hovering off the floor. Like, a one centimeter, not even gap between your chest and the floor. We want perfect alignment of the spine, the neck and everything. So in that same position, your nose or your forehead, like sort of that front part of your face should also be very close to the floor. So many people butcher the push-up in the most, like one of the most common ways we see is losing that alignment of the head and the neck 
basically headbutting the floor. I feel like I've spoken about this before, <laughs> getting deja vu, but really dropping the head and the neck out of alignment, then coming down towards the floor. Your forehead is super close to the floor because it's way lower than the rest of your body because you've lost the alignment. And then they bounce up and down from there. But the chest got nowhere near the floor and the chest is the driver and the working part of the push-up. So if you've dropped the head so much lower than the chest and then you're just bouncing through these tiny reps and you're like, oh, but I can't get any lower because I'll literally headbutt the floor, pull the head and neck back up into alignment, lower the whole body down, whole body back up, whether you're on knees or toes, and I'll come back to that in a sec, but everything should be in this really straight line so that when you come down to the floor, knees, hips, chest, forehead, everything is really just hovering above the floor, all in a very similar position, similar alignment, and then we push the whole thing back up. So that is the very first thing I'll look at and really similar to the chin up, if you're someone who's like, oh, I can do 15 on my toes or whatever, and then you film them, you watch them back, you post them and eat like Ruby, whatever, and you're like, okay, no, I can do 15 tiny baby half reps where I'm headbutting the floor, bring it back to the knees, bring it back to day one. And it, it ties in with what I said last week where we need to drop the ego and be like, oh, but I've always done them on my toes. If you're doing them not well on your toes, be okay with going back to knees and doing them well. We would so much rather do 10 wicked push-ups on the knees than... 10 shit ones on the toes. So be okay with making that air quote regression. It's almost like a step back to take two steps forward. Because if you step back to the knees and you nail that movement, you nail that technique, you're lowering to the point we want and everything. And then you work through that and you build your strength there. Eventually you go back to the toes with a significantly better push up. So it is a step back to take two steps forward. And again, it's just about refining. So alignment, positioning, all that is number one. Bring it back to the knees if we need to. And then super similar to the chin up, there's so many aspects of it that we want to look at. And this is why I love tempo push-ups. If you're an Eat Like Ruby, you'll be like, yep, she loves a tempo push-up. Tempo meaning we play around with different parts of the tempo and how long we hold each, each movement or each position for. So I'm a huge fan of like a slow lowering phase, maybe two or three seconds to lower down. A two or three second hold off the floor, I think is so beneficial because you are literally learning to hold the hardest part of the push-up and then a big push-up from there. If you're someone who's doing iffy push-ups on your toes, bring them back to the knees and bring in the tempo and really focus on those long, slow holds just above the floor with that perfect alignment, really whole body nice and low. It will work wonders for your push-up. Bring it back to the toes when you can and you'll be able to lower so much better and push up so much better, which believe it or not, is the point of the push up. So <laughs> I think working on those different aspects, the lowering, the holding, the push up is super important. Obviously, we can work on strengthening the chest and working the chest in other ways with bench and dumbbell bench and flies and inclines and machines and all of those things. And I think again, it's super cool to do so. If you can spend time learning to push heavy weight, whether it's dumbbells, bench press or machines or whatever, again, that's going to carry over like the back stuff will, like the chin up stuff will to then be able to push your own weight in the form of a push up. And I feel like there's just so much crossover with each individual exercise that we've spoken about. With pretty much all of them, we want to work on the little aspects. We want to work on the big lift at times. We want to work on the lowering, the holding, the coming back up, the going down. We want to work on the unilateral like single sides at the time. Even if we think about um, push-ups and chin-ups, 
the girls in like Ruby will know I love unilateral back exercises like a um single arm pull down or a single arm row because you're just going to work that individual side and make sure each side is getting the work and getting the strength that it needs so that when you go into a chin up you're not having one side take all the work like obviously that's not what we want so my point there is everything we've said for each individual thing carries over so much to just training as a whole we want to factor all of this stuff into our training as a whole and I think that's such a good place to wrap up because it really just ties in with what I pointed out last week where we don't want to view training as an eight-week program or a 12-week program or whatever we want to just tie all of this stuff in and keep cycling through it and keep working on it literally forever literally forever guys <laughs> so I'm sure I'll talk about this again because we're going to be training forever. I'm sure I'll talk about nutrition because we're going to be eating forever. And I think that is a great place to wrap up. So I hope um, you guys got something from that episode. I feel like that was a good educational, very insightful, lots of lots of um, shit to pick up from that one if you want to. <laughs> Next week's episode, guys, is the wedding episode. So Shaq is going to be in studio unless he decides to run off before then, but hopefully he'll be here. G's going to be here as well. So if you listen to the last few weeks with my Eat Like Ruby business manager, Georgia, she's going to come in. She's actually going to host the episode and we're going to have a bit of a Shaq versus Rubes because the day we get married, so we're getting married next Saturday being the 16th of December, is our 10-year anniversary. So we're doing a who knows who better after the 10 years, Shaq versus Rubes. And (laughs) guys, the loser of who knows who better has to eat. We have a packet of the world's hottest chips and the loser has to eat a chip. So I'm honestly genuinely terrified. Like I'm I'm just going to fight till the death. We'll probably have to cancel the wedding. (laughs) But that's going to be next week's episode before we get married next Saturday. And then we will have plenty more episodes coming out through Chrissy, New Year's, all of the things heading into 2024. Thanks, guys.